Hey! Hey, you're looking pretty sharp, Pastor. What do you think of my outfit? You think you're Superman? You colorblind, Pastor? My cape is black, not red. I'm going to the Star Wars concert at the Intrust Arena to try and find myself a girlfriend. I I'm not a Star Wars guy. I don't mean to disagree, Pastor, but isn't that a Darth Vader mask on your table? I do a pretty mean Darth Vader. Sounds like somebody in need of a Vicks cough drop, right? A mean Yoda voice, I do. We'll find a girlfriend, do you think? I can't begin to answer that question at all. Maybe I can impress her with my Chewbacca. Oh, well, I guess I know who your favorite character is. I need a new lightsaber. Want to join me on my Vespa and head on over to Toys R Us? That's about six inches on the other side of certifiably stupid. So what are you saying, Pastor? I don't want to go shopping with you. Good morning, everybody. We're in a series called Question Mark, and it's all about questions that you've submitted. You've really driven the train for this series. And I want to tackle uh, the question this morning that when I first started reading the questions that came in, this was the first one that I said, yeah, I, I'm going to do a talk on this one. Um, in fact, I don't remember this for sure, but I, I think it came in on the very first day. I was traveling. I happened to read it on my BlackBerry, and I said, okay, we're going we're gonna to spend a day talking about this question. You ready for it? Here it is. It, the, the person who wrote this not only asked a good question, I just appreciated the insight and the wisdom that she or he had when they wrote this question. What about single people? I long to hear what it takes to find the right one. How will I know? And here's what I really synced up with. What does it take to be ready for the right one? I'm 30 and single. I'm tired of heartache and pain. I just want to know how I can find the right one. So this morning, my talk is, is there someone out there for me? And I'm targeting singles, as you can imagine, singles of all ages. And I realize that the moment I say that, we're going to have a challenge this morning because singles are not all in the same boat. And for some of you, this could be kind of a tender time because you may have been through a lot of bad experiences and you've lived life long enough to make a few mistakes or to have people make some mistakes and you have to suffer for them. So it could be that you've got some, some, some bad stuff that is going to make this a little bit tender. On the other hand, you could be 16 years old and you're on the ground floor. So you can sort of understand my challenge as I sit before you here today. i got to find a way to sort of talk to all of us about single life and finding the right person. I'm going to do the best that I can. And this is a workshop. At times it's going to feel like you're drinking out of a fire hose. But I want to share with you what the Bible has to say to singles. And then on top of that as well, I want to share with you probably the, the main themes that I've experienced in 33 years of pastoring, listening to singles, talking with singles, and especially listening to married people with circumstances and situations that haven't gone well. And it all comes down to how to pick, how to choose the right person. There are three billion people on the planet, the, the gender that you're looking for, okay? There are a lot of choices. Is there somebody out there for me? That's the question I want to tackle. And let me just give you 
Three things right out of the box. Number one, it's hard. I just want to embrace that. Every once in a while somebody will tell me, you know, Mark, I'm single. It's just so crazy out there. I think I'm just going to give up and go to a monastery. (laughs) I just want to say to you, in the words of the old Saturday Night Live skit, it's hard. It's really hard. I think, number one, it's always been hard. And number two, it's especially hard today because the wheels are falling off in character and morality issues in our culture. So it's really hard. It's hard. And and I, I embrace that. But... To counter that, could I just remind you, you only need one, right? You only need one. You're not out to build a team, you know? <laughs> so you just need one. So even if, there aren't, if they don't run in packs, you only need one. And then the third thing, I want you to know from somebody who talks to young singles every day of my life practically, there are a lot of good people out there. I've been watching the NFL draft, so forgive me if I have this in draft terminology. There are a lot of Hall of Famers that are late-round picks and free agents, okay? There are a lot of really, really good people out there. And I'm promising you, I talk to young men every day that are men of character, men of value, men who want to be a good husband to a woman. And please don't come to me after service and ask for their names because I just don't think I should be the one to do that, Okay. I run into women, they're just women of great character, women of smarts, and women who, who, who keep their word and who tell the truth and who care about, uh, care about real values. So I just want you to know, yes, there are good people out there. So if you're single, don't give it up and mail it in. And especially, as you'll hear me say over and over, because I'm, like you know, I'm like a broken record on this, don't settle, don't settle, because there is somebody out there for you that is God's choice. So I want to give you five things today, and again, this is going to be like drinking out a fire hose, and unless you take notes, it could be that, you know, you're not going to remember a whole lot of this. My hope is that you'll get the part that's most salient to your situation. But I'm going to give you five things that I think are absolutely key to finding the right person, and you would think I would go here first because I am a pastor. Here is the first thing I want to encourage you to do is involve God, involve God. For some reason, even Christ followers tend to push God away from the table. And let me tell you what the psychology of that is, I think. We know that God is perfect, and God is holy, and God has high standards. And in the world that you and I live in today, we're scared that we aren't going to find somebody who will meet God's standards. We just want to find somebody good enough. And so when we sit down at the table to discuss with various people, if we do, who might be the right person, I don't mean a literal table, but I'm just talking about your sphere of influence in your life, we tend to tell God, would you just mind sitting in the next room? Because we're scared to death that God is going to look to the person that we think is hot, to the person who, you know, the guy who makes us laugh, to the girl who's really hot, we're scared that God is going to look at her and say, mm, she's not the right one. So it's like, God, would you mind please leaving the table? But before we do that, we might want to consider a promise that God makes to people because this promise is so huge that it, it sort of causes us to want to open the door and say, okay, God, come on back to the table. In fact, God, I want you to run this whole process. Let me give you the, the promise. It's in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. That's a scripture that many of you will recognize because we often employ this wisdom when it comes to making life's decisions. Christ followers, God followers, just maybe people who aren't even spiritually resolved. Could I tell you, these particular verses are more important to you when it comes to finding a mate than it is in any other area of life. Because after all, after you accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, is there any larger decision than the person that you spend your life with. I don't think there is. So think about this. I want to read to you, and, and, and before I get 
before I get there, God is going to instruct us to do three things, and then he's going to give us a promise if we do these three things. Remember this, guys. God loves you. He will always be with you no matter what. You will, if you're a Christ follower, you will always be God's child if you screw up and bump around the bottom the rest of your life. You will always be God's child. But there are certain promises that God makes for people who will do things his way. And if you do these three things, you will get a promise. Now, i got to be honest with you. In the essence of full disclosure, if you're dating, those three things will be the hardest three things you have ever done in your life. So let's look at this, and then we'll focus for a few moments on the promise. Proverbs 3.5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Those three things are so hard that I think we ought to take a little look at the promise so that maybe it will incentivize us to do the difficult thing. What is God's promise? He will show you which path to take. Now, in my notes, I have two phrases in red. The first one is just the word will. He will show you, not he might. This is something God promises you to do. He says if you do these three things, God will show you. And the second phrase is which path. That's really important to me because when I was dating, I dated a lot of good young ladies who become wonderful Christian women. Some of them are married to friends of mine, and, and they're wonderful women. They, they just weren't the woman for me. God will show you which path. There are a lot of good people in your sphere. Chances are, if you're a God follower, and a lot of your friends, a lot of the people that you meet are Christ followers, chances are you meet a lot of fine young men, a lot of fine young women. But how do you know which path? See, that's big. You need God for at least three things when you're dating, when, about finding the right person. You need God to bring you into the right orbit where that person is there. You know, God needs you to, God, you need God to bring you together with the right person. You need God to manage, number two, the timing of it all. We'd have a little fun here today if I stopped and talked to all of you who are married in healthy marriages. We'd have a lot of fun just talking about how you happen to run into each other, right? I mean, how many of us could say if it had just been five minutes one way or the other, if I had chosen that other job, if I had gone to that other school. I mean, if you think about it, it's kind of precarious. But God helps manage the right timing. And then here's the third thing, and I think the really big thing. If you meet the right person, you need God to give you favor with that individual. I mean, here's the deal. You could meet the right person, but if he thinks you're a jerk, or she thinks you're a jerk, or he, he thinks you're a loser, what good is that? You need God to give you favor. And I think about that. You know, I look at, you know, sometimes, have you ever looked at people and you thought, how did he ever get her? I mean, I'm sort of thinking that right now as I speak. He's looking around the room. The answer to that question is a big dose of grace. God gave you favor with her. I mean, every once in a while, this is kind of funny to me because a lot of times I'll ask couples, how did you meet? And, and how many times do I hear this? Well, the first time I met him, I didn't like him. Why? Well, I just thought he was, you know. But somewhere along the way, God opened her heart to him, and she began to see him for who he was in his best qualities. I, I, when I first met her, I just didn't think she was all that hot, but I think she's hot now. Who changes that? See, this is why it's so big. I, I'm just telling you, and we're going to do those three things in just a moment. They're the toughest things you're ever going to do, but the promise is just so mammoth. He will direct your path. He will help you find the right person out there, the person who's right for you. Okay, let's tackle the three toughies. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. 
Trusting in God when you're dating is huge because God knows things you don't know. I mean, you say, well, Mark, I just trust my own instincts. Well, I promise you there's a bunch you don't know. I mean, how many, have, haven't you gotten friends who've gotten married? And they said, boy, you just don't know them until you get married. <laughs> well, yeah, duh. That's why you need God. Because God knows things about the people you're dating that you don't know. I mean, for instance, God knows their hearts. Man, when you're dating, it's like a sales pitch, isn't it? You know, on your best behavior, they're on their best behavior. You know, it's like really, really careful. And, you know, he doesn't lose his cool and she doesn't cry at the drop of a hat. And it was just like everything is just really going great in the dating process. But then we get married. And you know what? Our flaws are going to be there. All of us have flaws. I'm not talking about flaws. I'm talking about heart issues. And God knows that other person's heart. God, and I'm just really cautious about this one. God knows who else is out there. Boy. Wish I had a nickel for every time this has happened to me. People will tell me, you know, I'll work with them at various stages in their dating relationships, and they'll say, oh, Mark, you know, this girl just, just broke it off with me, and I think my life is going to end, and this is just awful. I don't know how I'm going to go forward. I just knew she was the right one. And, you know, six months later, it's like Miss Perfect walks into his life, and he's saying, oh, God, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> you see, you need God for that. God knows who else is out there. And then God knows his plans for you. This is really big to me because when, when, when I met Mary Alice, it's been a long time since I've been single, so I'm relying on some really old memories here. But we're still in high school. And, and, and what Mary Alice didn't know what God was about to do in my life, but just a few months before she met me, she was at church camp, and a, a woman who was a missionary had given an appeal. She had given a talk to girls, and she had given an appeal for girls to make a decision. And Mary Alice had made a decision in that camp to be a pastor's wife or a missionary's wife. And then she ran into me in high school. And I didn't even know about this, but it was like two or three months later that God just started dealing with me about ministry. So it's all her fault. So, no. <laughs> Do you get my point? I'm saying there, there are a lot of good girls that I dated, but God knew his plans for me. He knew I needed somebody that had a heart for ministry. I mean, you talk about a life that's challenging and a life that's tough. Pastoring is. It's a tough life. But you know, she's never complained about a single minute of it. She's addicted to it, just like I am. God knew his plans for me. He knew he needed to put me with somebody whom he had similar plans for. And then here's another one. God knows you. You know, one thing about you that you probably don't tell anybody is that you're a little bit quirky. We all are. Right? We have, we have little idiosyncrasies. We just have stuff, you know, that if we meet the right person, it'll be cute. If we meet the wrong person, they'll think we're crazy. Am I right? You meet the right person, they will love you with your idiosyncrasies. It may, you may grind their teeth at times, but they'll love you in spite of it. All I'm trying to say is you need God because God knows all this stuff that you don't know. So trust in him. Number two, don't lean on your own understanding. You start dating, you get an understanding. You know, it's like on Facebook, you know, what's your status? Well, you know, I'm single, I'm, you know, I'm, you know, in a relationship, it's complicated. It's always complicated. I mean, that's kind of crazy when you think about it. Every relationship's complicated. But we get an understanding. Well, we're sort of at this stage. Yeah, I think she might be the one. Yeah, he is the one. We're just human. That's going to happen with every one of us. Every relationship represented by every one of us here, when you're, when you're dating, when you're married, whatever, you have an understanding of where you are. That's, there's no sin in that. God just says, don't lean on it. 
Don't, don't depend on your understanding. What you think is real isn't necessarily real. One of the issues that we have with love is it's so emotional, right? There's a reason why people say love is blind. Love isn't blind, it's just emotional. And when emotions get into the picture, it clouds reality. For instance, I've known people that were in a relationship and everybody around them was telling them, look, this is toxic. And red flags, you know, were waving and, and bells were ringing and whistles were blowing. And this particular person in this relationship, if it had been in any other scenario, all these problems would have been screaming at them, but they're in a dating relationship and they can't see a problem that other people can see. Why is that? It's because emotions are so powerful. And that's why God is saying, you can't lean on your own understanding. Thirdly, the third most difficult thing you do. The Bible says, trust him, or seek God's will, rather, in everything you do. This is the hardest one for me, maybe. I think the last two really are hard for me. But this one is, because I'm so good at asking for God's help when I'm in a mess. You know, because I've leaned on my own understanding. I said, thank you, God. I got this all figured out. Don't need you. Please leave the room right now. I've got this all worked out. And then I screw it up. And I'm lying in the pieces of the debris of all my mess. And it's like, God, would you please come and help me? God is saying, Mark, that's not good enough. You have to ask me before you get into trouble. You, you don't, don't come just crying to me, even though it's fine to cry to God if you're in a mess. But God is saying, that's not enough. Call me before you get into trouble. I will help you not get into the mess. So think about those three things. I know they're very difficult singles. They're so hard. I, I, I embrace the reality that all three of those are hard. If you trust in God in all your, everything you do and you don't lean on your own way of thinking and you ask him for help before you get in trouble, those are really three difficult things. But isn't the promise huge? Because God is saying he will help you. He will show you which path to take. So that's number one. If you want to know how to find the right person, involve God. Number two. I, I know clearly that we represent people who have been in some relationships that did not work. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or anything like that. But I'm guessing there's some of us here today who would say, Mark, I was in some relationships that went wrong. Or maybe you've been in a marriage and it blew up on you. Let me ask you a question. And I'm not, you don't need to respond to me, but I, I would encourage you to do the math in your own head here. What ruled in the selection process? Something ruled. If you, if you, if you met the wrong person chances are strong that something ruled that selection process that wasn't healthy. You say, well, she was hot, or he made me laugh, or, I, and this is the one that I get a lot, I'm surprised at this, pressure. I felt pressured, you know? My friends all said he was the right one for me, or everybody I graduated with was already in a relationship or already married. And how many times have I had someone tell me, Mark, I knew when I walked down the aisle, I shouldn't have gotten into that relationship. Mark, no sooner have we said the vows than I knew it was a mistake. What happened is something wrong ruled the selection process. And I keep going back to the emotional thing because oftentimes we use more intellect in buying a car than we use in finding our life partner. And it's bad because if you buy a car, that's a bad car, it's a bad mistake, but you can undo that, you can fix that. But if you marry the wrong person, how do you fix that? Let me just give you this. If you're dating, character rules. Character rules the selection process. If character is an unusual term, let me just tell you, let me give you this. Reputation is what people think you are. Character is what you really are. Character is who you are when you're 500 miles away from home and nobody's looking over your shoulder. That's who you really are. So when you're dating, character is more important than anything else. 
Who is this person? Not what does she look like, not how much money does he make, not is this person somebody my friends think is a great choice. The question is, who is this person? Let me give you some things that I think are absolutely key, and again, you would know that I'm going to go here. It is imperative that that person be a Christ follower. Notice I did not say Christian. I grew up in church, and, and, and I heard a verse that many of you may have heard. You know, God says in 2 Corinthians 6, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can a believer, it says, be partnered with an unbeliever? And I was taught from the beginning, if you're a Christian, then you date Christians and you marry a Christian. And that's good advice, because if somebody's not a person who believes in Christ, how can you walk together on different roads? But I know what it was like when I was growing up because it's like, well, I want to date this girl because I'm really romantically attracted to her. So since I'm a Christian, I have to check the Christian box. So I'm going to ask her, are you a Christian? 80% of Americans will tell you they're Christians. Mass murderers will tell you they're Christians. You know what I'm saying? I'm just saying it isn't enough to be a Christian. You want somebody who is a Christ follower. Let me, let me just be real straight with you as somebody who's talked with hundreds, maybe thousands of people through the years. Don't you want somebody who'll be faithful to you? In the world that we live in today, that's the challenge to find somebody who's faithful. You know what? Your marriage, you say, well, Mark, I'm in a relationship and we just are in love with each other. We just can't, we just keep looking at each other. We just can't take our eyes off each other. We just can't take our hands off each other. We are just so much in love. Could, could I just like pop your bubble just a little bit to tell you it won't always be that way? I mean, there'll be days when you can't take your hands off each other. Not really. <laughs> Let's just say that there are swags in relationships. And in your marriage, you're not going to always feel like you're in love. How do you know that the man you marry is going to be true to you when things aren't always going great? How do you know that the woman that you marry is going to be true to you when stuff is not going well? Well, here's the deal. If he is in love with Jesus, if he is sold out to follow Jesus, even when he might not be happy with you, you're going to know he's going to do the right thing because he loves Jesus. You're going to know that she does the right thing because she loves Jesus. You, this is so huge, and I know it's hard to put your hands around, but you want somebody who loves Jesus more than he loves you. You want some girl who loves Jesus more than she loves you. I promise you, you'll never be loved more than you will when you meet somebody when you're second place to Jesus. I was just reading my Bible before I came out here. And Paul said, I think this was in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 39. He said, you're free to marry anybody you want as long as they love God. That's number one, a Christian, a Christ follower. Number two, how do they do with truth? Does this person tell the truth? Does this person believe the truth when someone tells him? <laughs> If I, if I seem a little frustrated on stage, it's because I hear this way too many times. Mark, he's just a wonderful man. He's a wonderful man. I just keep catching him in lies. Oh, my advice is walk, run, don't walk. Well, Mark, she's just, she's just a great girl, but the problem is she just can't tell the truth. You know, Mark, he, he, he tells a lot of lies, but he makes me laugh. Well, he'll make you cry. <laughs> you know, in my grand, I, I said this last night. In my grandparents' generation in America, a liar was about the worst thing in town. I mean, even if a person wasn't a godfather, even an atheist 
would say, you know, don't lie. I mean, atheists would tell their children, don't lie to me. But today, you're almost considered somebody really sharp if you can tell a good lie. That's our, that's our norm in our culture today. Find somebody who can tell you the truth. Number three, what about humility? How does he treat others? How does he treat you around his friends? How does he treat you around members of the opposite sex? How does he treat you around his family? Does he always have to get his way? If the answer to those questions, you know, isn't what it should be, there should be a red flag flying. And I use the masculine pronoun. We could switch that and say, how does she treat others? How does she treat you around her friends? How does she treat you around members of the opposite sex? How does she treat you around her family? Does she always have to get her way? Number four, what about anger? And I'm not talking about just rage, you know, where you say, well, he just, you know, he's a great man, but he just blows up and, you know, punches holes in the wall. Well, I'm not just, that's bad enough. You don't want that. But is this person one who just, like, freezes up for three or four days until you figure out what you've done wrong? There's another one where you want to run, not walk. Because chances are that person has emotional issues a mile deep because that kind of anger creates emotional issues. What about self-control or discipline? I, I wrote these down, and I noticed they all started with S, so I'm going to call these the three S's. <laughs> what about self-control in the area of sex? Can he control himself sexually? Spending, you know, when she buys, is it like, you know, plastic, like a ninja, you know? Speaking. Oh, Mark, he's a great guy. He just, like, loses it, and he says these horrible things to me. It's very important to find someone who can control, control himself. Character rules. Now, instantly, the moment I say this, I know nobody's perfect. So anybody that you test, starting with me, I mean, I would fail some of these tests if, if I had to be 100% at any of these things. But I can tell you this, I'm working on them all. You want to find somebody who's working on these things. You want to find somebody who, if he has a problem with self-control, he knows he has a problem with self-control, and he's got things that he employs in his life to deal with it. If he's got anger issues, he's dealing with it. He's not just saying he's going to get better. Well, let's flip this. Remember the lady or the man who wrote that question said, how can I be the right person? It's just as important that you are the right person, maybe more important that you are the right person because if, if you're not the right person and you're looking for somebody who has all these character qualities, if she found you, you'd be the wrong person for her. So let's talk about that for a few moments. If you want to find the right person, you have to be the right person. Are you a Christ follower? What about you and self-control? What about you and anger? What about you and truth? What about you and humility? These are things to work on. Number four, start right. When you find a great relationship, not always, but many times, if you find a great relationship, you can trail that great relationship back to a good start. Now, the moment I say that, I know instantly that there have been people that have a wonderful relationship, and it didn't start out well. Maybe they weren't Christ followers when they got started, but somewhere along the way, they realized that they were making a bad start, and they made instant course corrections. And it is amazing, even if we do a lot of wrong stuff, it is so amazing if we make course corrections how quickly God will extend mercy to us. But I realize I'm also talking to a lot of young singles who've never been in relationships before, and I really want to give them the ideal picture so that they can just go straight to the top 
So could I just say this? If you want a great marriage, it is so important to start right because great relationships are part of a great trail. It's one of the issues that I have with 21st century Americans, even Christ followers, is we want to go on this wrong trail and wind up at a good destination. You know, we want to be promiscuous when we're single, and then we're going to flip a switch and be monogamous when we get married. Isn't that sort of what people think today? Single life is like sleeping with everybody you want to sleep with, and then you find the person who is your dream person, and then you flip a switch and you're suddenly monogamous. And if you believe in that, you believe in the Easter Bunny. <laughs> but I can't get over it. Our culture just believes that. Somebody wrote me a question, and i got to read it to you. It goes like this. The world we live in is incredibly different from Bible times. I'll give you that. That which was asked of the Jews in the Old Testament, all the rules they had to follow, were rendered obsolete once Jesus came to earth. Now, 2,000 years later, are we still expected to adhere to the standards of the New Testament, particularly those about relationships? With the divorce rate as high as it is, wouldn't one be crazy not to do a trial run to find out if they're really compatible before getting married? In other words, live together before deciding to risk it all and become yet another statistic. Now, don't I owe this man, this woman, a straight answer? Because he or she has asked a pretty powerful cultural question. Because, frankly, I hear this a lot. And for all of you who are young adults, could I just give you a mea culpa? Could I give you an apology? This is part of my generation's legacy given to you. I'm a child of the early 70s, and our generation simply said, why is marriage important? It's just a piece of paper, so it's really not, not a big thing. Just live together. So, so that is my generation's bequest to you, and I, I offer you an apology for that. Well, I realize that we're going to walk away, some of us, with differing views on this. I'm cognizant of that, and I respect that. But I do think we should wrestle with it. Every once in a while, there's a cultural point of view that doesn't get tested. So I, I think we would be wise to test it today. Because this, this man is asking, and this woman is asking, a pretty powerful question. I, I do think it's, it's built on flawed logic because he, 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 he says that Jesus rendered everything obsolete in the Old Testament. No, he didn't. He said he came to fulfill the law, not destroy it. But obviously his point, I understand his fundamental point, we don't offer sacrifices and so on like the Old Testament. And that is true. But what we need to understand is that God's definition of marriage is not part of the law. It came before the law. And not only did it come before the law, it is one of the rare verses in the Bible that is repeated verbatim, not twice, but four times. And it is these, these, this definition of marriage is strategically positioned in the three eras of time. In Genesis, in the Old Covenant, long before the law, in the life of Christ, which is the transition period, Matthew and Mark, and in the church age, which you and I live in, in the book of Ephesians. God gave his plan for marriage. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, the Hebrew word is be glued to his wife, and they too shall become one flesh. God said that when he put Adam and Eve together. Jesus said it in the Gospels of Matthew and Mark. The Apostle Paul wrote it in the book of Ephesians. So I'm not trying to, to give this guy or this gal a hard time. I, I just want to say... There's a little bit of flawed logic there. But let's talk about something for a moment. I, I, could I just read one more line from his question? 
wouldn't one be wise to do a trial run to find out if they were compatible? In other words, live together before deciding to risk it all. Well, my question is, if you're already having sex together and you're already enjoying companionship, what's left to risk? No, just, just keeping it real here, because you can walk away and you can say, well, Mark, I, I just don't think marriage is all that important, and, and, and I understand that. If you walk away and that's your point of view, but could I just say something? Here's the deal. If you're saying, you know, we, we want to have sex and we want to have companionship, but I'm not sure I'm really committed, what that's saying is your sex is not really all that important. It's, it does not rate a commitment for me. And your companionship is just not important enough to rate a commitment for me. Now, what the Bible is really clear on, and I know this may sound old school, but what the Bible is clear on is that a drive for commitment and a desire for sex are incentives that God has placed in our world to pull us toward marriage. So consequently, if we're in a relationship where there is sex and companionship, we have now removed the two primary motivations for getting married. And it kind of challenges us. And if you're in that situation... You're, you have to say, well, my partner doesn't feel that sex with me is enough for him to be fully committed, or vice versa, her, she doesn't feel like it's enough for me to be committed, or to her to be committed to me. I want to read in 1 Corinthians 7. Paul asks a question. He said, first, is, a good thing to have, is it a good thing to have sexual relations? And he says, certainly. I like that part. That's good. But, he said, within a certain context, it's good for a man to have a wife, for a woman to have a husband. Sexual drives are strong, but marriage is strong enough to contain them and provide for a balanced and fulfilling sex life in a world of sexual disorder. I do, though, tell the unmarried, verse 8, and widows that singleness might well be the best thing for them as it's been for me. But if they can't manage their desires and emotions, you see sex and commitment, if they cannot manage their desires and emotions, or not, excuse me, I meant to say uh, sex and, and, and a sense of belonging, they should by all means go ahead and get married. The difficulties of marriage are preferable by far to a sexually tortured life as a single. So, what about the question, isn't it okay just to live together before we get married? Well, let me just talk to you about a couple things, and then you can wrestle with this and see what you think. I think, first of all, there's a huge issue with somebody who wants the benefits of marriage, but who doesn't want to make a commitment. To me, there's something fundamentally flawed with that. Whether you agree with me or disagree with me about the outcome of living together, wouldn't you say that somebody who would go into that relationship and their whole purpose is to derive the benefits of a relationship and not commit? There's something wrong with that. Well, let me give you the example in a different way. I haven't looked at cars in a long time. But the other day, I was just driving down Kellogg, and, and I passed the Acura dealership, and I just drove in, and I looked at a car. Now, Acura is a Honda that's dressed up for dinner. That's, that's what it was. And, um, and not seriously, you know. But it's just one of those things, just... just a guy thing, I guess. I don't know. Maybe, maybe gals like to do it too. But I was just looking at the cars. Now, suppose <clears throat> your salesperson came up to me and I said, I think I like this car, but I'm not sure. What I'd like for you to do is I'd like for you to bring the keys to me and I'd like to just drive it for a while. Maybe a year, two. <laughs> and I'll tell you what I'll do. Listen, I'll, I'll keep up insurance on it. I'll pay for the gasoline. I might bring it in for service every once in a while. 
but I just don't know if I'm into commitment right now. I just want to drive the car. Now be real with me. Let's say I keep it a year, two years without having made a commitment. What do you think the likelihood of my driving in and saying, well, I think right now I'm ready to commit and buy? If it's got a few rock tips in it, a few dings in the doors, the upholstery by now is a little bit discolored, I'd say the likelihood is strong, knowing my human nature, that I would say, I'm just not really sure I want to commit. I might be ready to go to the dealership again and find another car that I'd like to try for a year or two. Why is it we can see something so clearly when it involves a piece of machinery, and why can we not see it when it involves a son or a daughter of God that is a never-dying soul? Well, I, I, I'm just not cynical enough to believe that that's why most people live together. I think most people who live together really do plan to get married. I, think they, I don't think they go into it with those kinds of motives. You know what it is? It's fear. We're afraid because we've seen so many other relationships break up. But folks, there's a verse in the Bible where God's, the Bible says, God has not given us a spirit of fear. You're going to take some risks if you get married. I, I've never learned to love without risking. Anytime I love, I risk. So if you're with the person that you believe God has you to be with, that, that you, you, could I just encourage you to, to take the next step? I mean, don't, don't get locked into this limbo of not knowing where you are. God wants you to be with his choice for you for the rest of your life. Start right. Do it the right way. And when you do it the right way, you come under the umbrella of God's blessing. Is there somebody out there for you? Do you want there to be? Then there is. There is. God wouldn't give you the desire in your heart to find the right person unless that person is out there. Uh, I'm going to close with this. And um, I woke up at 4 o'clock this morning. I can't go back to sleep because I was thinking about something. I was thinking about the fact that God doesn't just look at us as like, you know, you're a citizen of the world. You're just, in, you know, you're a nameless, faceless creature in all of his creation. God looks at you as an individual. Just the fact that God knew me and loved me and cared about what I thought. I know that's true, but I just woke up at 4 o'clock this morning, and it was on my monitor, so to speak, and I couldn't get, I was just almost, forgive me for using this term, but it was almost like I was baptized in this idea of God's love for me and his knowledge of me, and it's the same for you. I guess I was thinking about this thing about there being the right person for you and God being involved. Do you know that God did the ultimate thing that the universe has ever seen to be in a committed relationship with you? You and I have sinned, the things that we've done wrong, the bad decisions, and all of us have a ton of them. Those things are in the way between us having a committed relationship with God. To get those things out of the way, God put his only natural son on the cross so that he could adopt you and me as sons and daughters of Christ, of God rather. Could I ask you a question? Are you in a committed relationship with God? Hey, the good news is he commits to you. Even if you fail him, he'll never leave you. 
The Bible says his love is so great that Jesus died for you to have a relationship with him. If you've never invited him into your life, I'm going to pray a prayer, and you won't have to know everything about God to pray this prayer. It's a matter of your heart. But if you would like to be in an everlasting, committed relationship with God, you can have that today. It's a gift, God's gift to you. I'm going to pray, and you can pray with me. These aren't magic words. I'm going to pray it slowly so you have a chance to think about them. But if you're ready to invite Christ into your life, why don't we do that together? You ready? Dear God, I know I've done wrong, and I can't pay for it, and I can't undo it, and I can't even stop. I know I'll never be perfect in this life, but I believe you love me anyway, and I believe Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sins. I believe he arose from the grave proving that he is God. Today, I ask to be your son or your daughter, depending upon if you're a man or woman. Please forgive me and make me God's child. In Jesus' name, amen.